Would you remain standing for the reading of God's word? This first part is Exodus 21 to 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then John 15, 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You may be seated. Thanks, Angelina. Well, good morning. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and this morning, we're going to be looking at our last sermon in our summer sermon series called Ten Words. So uh, when you plan a series, you know, we decided not to end on the Tenth Commandment, but to bring it into the New Testament and talk about uh, what Jesus gave as a commandment. Um, and so I was thinking, what kind of title should we use for today? Now, normally, um, you know, if, you're, if you're preaching, you'll think a little bit about the title, um, but I spent more time on it this week than normal um, for whatever reason. But I got to thinking about it because um, we talk about Jesus actually calls this commandment a new commandment. We're going to talk about uh, what he meant by that. Um, and then there's actually a, uh, at least one theologian that calls this commandment in John 13 and chapter 15. He calls it the 11th commandment. I think that's risky um, to do that. So we're not going to do that. Um, but. These words that Jesus shared, he's sharing them the last time with the disciples, the last time he's going to be together with all of them before the cross. So kind of settled on, on the title of last words. Um, some of you know that my mom is uh, under hospice care. And uh, hospice, you know, I... Uh, didn't really know. I had an assumption of what it meant, but I didn't really know. So let me read you a definition. Hospice care is for people who have learned from doctors that they are not expected to recover from their condition. It's about easing pain and helping families prepare for the end of life. Um, hospice care doesn't always mean end of life, I've found out. Um, this is the fourth time that my mom has been hospice level. Okay, um, But the first three times were a little bit different. She actually recovered. Um, but this, this time is... Um, different, and uh, with my mom being involved in the discussion and the decision, um, we decided to place her under hospice care. Uh, hospice care time frames are different for different people. I had an uncle who passed away about two hours after he went under hospice care. Uh, this week um, will mark month seven that my mom has been in hospice care. So the last seven months have been challenging for my mom, obviously. Uh, been challenging for, um, for us. But one thing it's taught me in this process, because she's been ill, pretty seriously ill for about five, five and a half years now, um, is to make sure I tell my mom I love her as much as possible. Um, I love you are the last words I say to her and the last words she says to me uh, every time I visit, every time I have a phone call, um, because I want her to know how I really uh, feel about it, because I do not know when the last conversation is going to happen. Um, my dad passed away 20 years ago, and he was, he was very sick, but I didn't really understand. Uh, maybe I was in denial, but I didn't really understand how sick he was. Um, so his death was, was a little bit unexpected um, for me, for my family, even for the doctors. He, he died a little bit sooner than they expected. Um, but the last time I saw my dad um, and the last words I said to him were, I love you, and his last words to me were, I love you too, son. And that's when I left the hospital that night before and he passed away uh, before I saw him the next day. So um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that there was, um, that my dad knew how I felt about him and I knew how he felt about me. Uh, last words are important. 
and we don't always know when we're having them. That's important to remember. Um, the last conversation I had with my nephew was over text. I was wishing him happy birthday. Um, I lost a good friend at the beginning of this summer, tragically. And uh, our last conversation was over breakfast a few months before that. And uh, I will tell you, if I'd have known that those were the last times I was going to communicate with them, the conversation would have been, would have been different. Uh, there were good conversations, especially with my friend. We, uh, we never had a light conversation. We were always talking about deep, important things, and he was a very, very godly man. But, um, but I would have made sure that each one of them knew how much I loved them and how much they meant to me. So this is what Jesus is doing. He is talking to his disciples, his closest friends, the people that he is entrusting with the gospel message after he's gone. So we want to dig into that today and see what that's all about. So that's where the title came from. Not that y'all ever even think about that, but, but we do. Um, so, so today's scripture passage, passage that Angelina just, um, just read to us is part of this uh, conversation, this teaching opportunity that Jesus had. Um, and it was um, after following or during the Last Supper that he instituted um, the last night that he was with his disciples before the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. Everything that Jesus ever said was important. <laughs> Nothing was, uh, he didn't say anything that wasn't literally a word from God. Um, but we want to take a look at his last words today and, and what they were and why they are important. Um, theologians refer to John chapter 13, verse 31 through chapter 16, verse 33, as the farewell discourse. So this is Jesus knowing that this is the last time he's going to talk to them as a group before he goes to the cross. He's got some important stuff to say. So let me read uh, this new commandment um, from a couple chapters earlier than what Angelina read for us. This is in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is not the first time there's a command to love one another. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus himself, at the very beginning of his ministry, during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So why did Jesus um, refer to this as a new commandment? And Sam and I were talking about this right before the service. He's like, is this really a new commandment? Jesus said it was. So I'm not going to say it's not. <laughs> but... Uh, there are a couple of reasons why I think he referred to this as a new commandment. One is he was speaking this commandment directly to his friends, the disciples, with a purpose to prepare them for what was about to come. Now, he had been preparing them for three years now, but he knew what was about to happen. And he knew that not many days onward, he would rise from the, from the grave, but then he would ascend to heaven and he'd be gone. So he is trying to give them words to help them understand what's about to happen. So that's one reason why I think he was thinking of this as a new commandment. And then the other thing is there's a new standard of comparison with this commandment that's different from the 10 that we've already talked about. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So here are the two questions those raise. How does Jesus define friendship? And what is this new standard of comparison. So let me read the verses again that Angelina read. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So, Answer to the first question, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on the gospel 
according to John. He points out that disobedience is not what makes them Jesus' friends. It's what characterizes them as friends. So they're not earning Jesus' friendship because they're being obedient to him, but they are his friends because they are obedient to their Savior. And that's an important distinction to make. It's also important to, to mention that Jesus, at this point, when he says these words in chapter 13, chapter 15, um, he's only speaking to the 11 disciples who will be there at the end to share the gospel with the world. Judas Iscariot left to betray Jesus right after Jesus washed his feet and prior to Jesus giving this new commandment to the 11 disciples. And then the answer to question two is the new standard of comparison is Jesus' love. Okay, Uh, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. There is no higher standard than that. So that's what makes this a new commandment. It it ties in with all the Ten Commandments, but it talks about loving each other the way Jesus loves us. And that is the highest standard there is. So let's take a little bit and see what, what what does it mean to be a friend? In the first century, friendship was very important, just like today. And it operated on a number of different levels, like it does today. Um, So... One type of friendship was political friendship, and these were friends of the king or friends of Caesar. You were powerful because you had powerful friends. Like That's what made you powerful. So today we might refer to this as it's not, it's not what you know, but who you know, or um, name dropping, you know, I know so-and-so. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we, it's a political thing. It's a political gain uh, through friendship there. Uh, There was another type of friendship in the first century called a benefactor-client friendship. At least that's what we call it. It's when a wealthy person would become a patron of someone who is less well-off. And so if we tie that in with today, that would be maybe the modern-day equivalent might be a large business owner and her employees. You know, so there's a there's a friendship there, but it's based on this um, opportunity that a person that's well-off provides for someone, but it also benefits both both parties. So let's look at some modern day friendships. Um, There's some friendships, I call them situational friendships, um, but they're people that you know that you're friends with because you share a certain situation that usually isn't of your own choice. So college students, you might be friends with people that are in class with you or that you share major with, um, or maybe you live on the same hall in your dorm, okay? Um, It might be somebody that you work with. So you're friends, um, but you work together, and you're together eight hours a day or ten hours a day or five hours a day or whatever it is, so it's situational. And then those of y'all with kids that are getting up a certain age, um, you might be friends with people because your kids play sports together, okay? Um, My girls, their main sport was swimming, and so uh, Leanne usually took them, but on the rare mornings when I did, it was me and a bunch of swim moms, so I didn't, like, make a bunch of friends. I didn't know that that was appropriate. Uh, so I just hid in a corner and read a book. Um, but one thing about these situational friends, lasting friendships can, can develop from these situations. They, they certainly can. Uh, I have good friends that, um, that I've known. Uh, one of my best friends I've known since I was six years old, and it was a situational deal. We knew each other in school. Um, but there are a lot of people, a lot of guys that I went to college with and um, that I'm friends with and I'll connect with them and we'll catch up when we see each other. But we, do, we aren't as close as we once were because our situations have changed. Um, and then this is uh, 2019, so uh, we must talk about social media <laughs> friendships. So there's friends, there's followers, there's connections, there's all these different things. Uh, Facebook, I, I don't do Facebook other than to be able to watch this when I'm not here. <laughs> so that's my Facebook thing. Um, I'm on Twitter, but mostly I've never like tweeted anything myself. I have like retweeted like four things in seven years. Um, and, uh, but what I do is I follow Midlands and I follow, you know, uh, just a very select, um, you know, group that I'm interested in. Um, same thing with Instagram. I, uh, I follow Midlands. I follow 
Uh, that's kind of how I, I know what Sierra's up to when she goes off to college uh, or where she is. Um, but, uh, and I follow like national parks because I enjoy seeing pictures of places that I wish I was. Um, but it's, I just, I don't post. And my daughter said, that's creepy. They're, you're a 50-something-year-old guy that's on Instagram and you don't have a single post. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, and then, uh, y'all might be on this, LinkedIn is a professional kind of Facebook kind of thing, okay? And uh, like I've connected with a lot of people on that and I rarely say no just because I don't want to be rude, but I don't, I don't stay on that site. Um, and in my profession, there's a lot of recruiters that are trying to get people in, you know, to go from this company to that company. So last night, just to check, I saw how many connections I had on LinkedIn. Um, 12,051. I don't have 12,051 friends. Um, are really connections. Like some of these people, I don't even know. Uh, I was just being nice. But um, I'm older than some of y'all, and so I have worked for a long time, and I do have this um, foundation of friends that I'm connected with through work. Um, and those platforms, man, they're, they're good. They're, they're a good way to stay connected with your friends, especially if you live a long way apart. Um, like the closest I ever came to like really doing Facebook is I have a really good friend who is Cambodian, lives in Phnom Penh, and he's a Facebook nut. Um, but I usually find out what he's up to through other friends of mine. Um, so, uh, so it has its place. It has its place. But it doesn't replace simply this, being face-to-face spending time with each other, going and grabbing a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you enjoy doing with your friends, just being together and spending time. So uh, it made me think about a commercial. Um, do y'all remember a commercial from a couple of years ago? And it was, um, I had to watch it to see uh, like what they were actually advertising because is that really a good commercial if you don't know what, what they were advertising? But it was a good commercial because it, it made a good point. So it was insurance. So it was an insurance commercial. You know, I thought it was Geico because it was weird, and I thought it might be the same, but it was insurance. So, and y'all might remember, it's this, it's this group of older ladies, and, and this one has them over at her house, and she's like, I wanted to show you pictures of my vacation, so I posted them to my wall, and she literally had them on her wall, okay? And then, and then she mentioned something that's so easy. It's like getting my car insurance for, you know, in 15 minutes, and then her friend says, well, I get mine in half the time, and, and the lady goes, I unfriend you. Uh, and, and then the other lady goes, that's, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. When I think about friendship, there are good things about all of these situations, political friendships, benefactor, client relationships, situational friendships, social media friendships. All those things are fine. I'm not trying to knock them. But what I'm saying is true friendship, that's, that's not how that works. That might be a component of it, but that's not the root of it. And what we're going to talk about today is the root of solid Christian friendship and what that means. So in the first century, as well as today, there was another kind of friendship. It was called mutual friendship. It's when there was friendship among equals. In ancient times, this type of friendship meant sharing confidences, uh, relying on your friends to get you through tough times, sharing of possessions, um, and even in extreme cases, laying down your life for your friends. And that happens today. That, those type of friendships happen today. Um, the, the laying down your life for friends, uh, when I think about that, I think about like stories that I know of people that have served in the military. And they have, they've laid down their life to protect their brothers or sisters that they're fighting with. Um, but we'll talk a little bit more later on about what it means to lay down your life if you're not physically giving up your life. So Jesus, as we said, he knew he was going to be crucified uh, less than 24 hours from this conversation he's having. And even though he knew he was going to be resurrected, and he knew that shortly after that he was going to be leaving them. And he understood how important the love that they had for each other was so that their fellowship would remain strong, that they were focused on God and not themselves and their position, and that they would carry the gospel to the world because 13, John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So a couple things. Jesus called his disciples to love one another on the foundation of their love for God. That's what he's been teaching them for three years now. And Jesus also set an example of what it means to love others unselfishly. And he had been showing the disciples how to love one another for the past three years. So last time I talked to you, I, I told you a lot of stories, and uh, there, there's no Jerry Clower quotes today, sorry. Um, but, uh, but I do want to tell you some stories and read some scriptures about how Jesus loved his disciples. Because if we're going to follow an example, that's the one that we need to follow. So six, six ways that Jesus loved his disciples. And we're going to be, I'm going to be reading some scripture to you. You don't have to flip back and forth if you, if you want to know where they are. Uh, most of them are in um, John and in this you know, farewell discourse, but there are some in Matthew, um, a couple in Luke, and actually one in, in one of the epistles. So if you want to uh, know again, um, uh, please just reach out to me. But the first way Jesus loves his disciples is he chose them. He chose the 12 apostles from his disciples. And studying the scripture, I read this passage and I'm like, okay, I totally forgot about that. Because when I think about Jesus getting his disciples and I think about him talking to, you know, to Matthew and Andrew and to James and John and Peter. And I'm thinking, all right, he, he gathered 12 and then that was it. And then the rest of them just kind of, you know, people just started following him. It's not exactly what happened. Uh, Luke chapter 6 and verses 12 and 13 says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, so all the people that were following him, and he chose from them twelve, and he named them apostles. So these were the twelve, the ones that he is talking to, the eleven that are left, and Judas is left at this point. He's talking to these guys, okay? Now we know Judas betrayed Jesus, and Jesus knew he would. And in John 13, in this, um, right before he leaves, Jesus says this in 13, verses 17 and 18. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So Jesus knew who he chose to be his friends. And he reminds the 11 of this after Judas leaves. He says in John 15, verses 16 and 17, part of what we read today, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Jesus chose his friends. The second thing that Jesus does to show his disciples that they're his friends and that he loves them, is he served them. At the beginning of this meal, he washes their feet. And, you know, people's feet are nasty. <laughs> they're nasty today. Um, but back then, people walked everywhere, and usually they had sandals on, and it was muddy and dirty and dusty, and they walked all day long, so their feet were nasty, Okay. And it was usually the lowest servant's job, if you were having a meal or having uh, a group at your house, that that servant would wash the feet of people as they came into your home. Um, so Jesus washing the feet of the disciples freaked them out a little bit because they've been following him for three years, and all of a sudden he's washing their feet. So in John, th this is in chapter 13 as well, verses 4 and 5, it said, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He's literally showing them by his example that he's there to serve them. And then he explains why. Because I can't totally relate to the disciples except for when they can't figure stuff out easily. <laughs> and he has to explain stuff to them. So I appreciate that they didn't always understand what he was talking about, and he had to explain it in more detail because that's what he does here uh, in verses 12 and 13 of that same chapter. He says, when he had washed their feet, uh, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, and he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an, I have given you an example that you also should ju- do just as I have done to you. Jesus is showing them there's nothing, you know, if you're serving somebody, you're not thinking about what it does to you or your reputation. You're thinking about the other person and what they need and how you can help them and how you can show them that you love them. And then another time, this is actually in Matthew um, chapter 20, verses 22 and then 26 and 28 through 28. This is when uh, the sons of Zebedee, their mama, uh, like a good mama, comes up to Jesus and said, hey, when you get to your kingdom, can my boys be your, your main guys? Can one of them sit on your left side and one of them sit on your right side? And I can't read this scripture anymore without thinking of a mu- church musical I was in it years ago. And a friend of mine sang a song and she was their mama. And the, the musical was written as if she was a southern mama. Okay, so picture this. Uh, and if you knew the person um, that sang this thing, she was the perfect person to do this. But she, she, was a, she is a southern mama who takes care of her. And she has two sons. Isn't that weird? Um, but she takes care of her boys. She wants to take care of them more than they need it. Um, okay. So here they've come and mama has said, can you put my boys in this place of honor? And, uh, and so Jesus is talking to James and John. And he he says this, um, do you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus showed his disciples that they were friends and he loved them by serving them. The next thing he did makes us all a little uncomfortable. He showed him he loved him by rebuking, correcting them. Okay? Um, so he rebukes Peter a number of times. There's a reason why. Uh, Peter wasn't afraid to act before he thought. Uh, he was outspoken. Uh, he was a leader among the disciples. Uh, but sometimes... Jesus had to rein him in a little bit. So here we go. This is, a, this is from Matthew in chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. Uh, it said, From that time Jesus began, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. So here's Peter telling Jesus, All right, Jesus, let me, let me have a talk with you because this is not right. And he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, it's a pretty serious rebuke, pretty needed, because he's trying to make the point to Peter. But also, if you put it in the context, this is immediately after he tells Peter, You are the rock on which I build my church. So Peter went from the rock to, hey, Satan, get behind me. And what Jesus is saying is, if you don't continually keep your mind on me and on the kingdom, you're going to get out of step. And so that rebuke was needed. All right, there's another time he rebukes Peter. Uh, And it's in our story. It happens uh, in chapter uh, 13. And it's when Jesus is washing their feet. And he said, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Okay. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, because Simon Peter, you know, was impulsive and he would, you know, go all out, whatever he did. He said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So Jesus loved Peter enough to rebuke him. And previously, one time I told you about a good friend of mine that was a mentor of mine that, that rebuked me for something that I was doing. I hadn't even done it. I was just considering it. And he spoke some truth into my life. And I, I was aggravated. 
for a short while, but man, I appreciate it. And that was 32 years ago. And I'm probably going to see him this Friday. He's a, he's a very good friend of mine because I know he loves me, because he wasn't afraid to tell me what I needed to hear and speak truth into my life. And then another example, um, Jesus corrected the disciples when they were keeping the children away from him. And this is actually in Luke, um, where he says to him, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. So Jesus loved his disciples and showed his love by rebuking and correcting them when they needed it. Another thing Jesus did to show his love is by preparing them. He prepared them by teaching and by warning them. So throughout the Gospels, don't worry, we're not going to read every time Jesus taught the disciples because we would have to read Matthew through John and then pull some scripture out of uh, some of the epistles as well. Um, So we're not going to do that. But a couple of things I wanted to remind you of. In, In Matthew chapter 10, there's a story of when he sent the 12 apostles out for the first time and he instructs them. He said, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to take, and here's how you need to handle yourself. And he gave them authority to do what he had called them to do. So he was teaching and preparing them. Um, I mentioned the the parables. Uh, In Matthew 13, it's when Jesus explained to the disciples why he teaches in parables, because it wasn't for everyone to know what he was saying. It was for the ones that he called to understand what he was saying. And then finally, he he invested time in them. He spent time with them. He prepared them for what was to come in this uh, farewell discourse in the 15th chapter of John, verses 18 and 19. He said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The guys he's talking to at this point From biblical text and extra biblical material, we know probably that 10 of the 11 were martyred for their faith. So he is saying the world's going to hate you. Today, if you look at our society today, just here in America, um, there's so much hate. Like you, uh, if you don't believe exactly what someone believes, then, then you're their enemy. That's the way you're perceived and And Jesus is talking about that here. He's saying that if you follow me, the world hates me. Like it seems like we have to be tolerant of everything except for the Christian faith. It shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus is telling them right here, if you're hated, remember, they they hated me first. And I'm the reason they hate you because you're not of the world. We're strangers in a foreign land. Um, I need to throw in my C.S. Lewis quote, so I'll meet that um, you know, requirement. But he talks about it, and this is not a, a, an exact quote, but you'll get the gist. He basically said, if we're not comfortable where we are, if we're longing for something else, then this isn't home. Home's coming. Home is an eternity with Jesus. So this isn't our native land. This is just where we're living right now. So he prepared them. He loved them by preparing them, by teaching them, by warning them. A fifth way that he showed his love for them is he encouraged them. In this same final discourse, in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's a promise. In Luke, he tells his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And this is when he's talking about, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. He's like, look at the birds. I take care of them. How much more important, how much more do I love you than them? I'm going to take care of you. And then toward the end of this farewell discourse, he encourages them again by telling the disciples that their sorrow, which they don't even know is coming, but is going to come the next morning, the next day, actually later that night when he is arrested, um, that deep sorrow 
is going to turn into joy. He compares their sorrow to a woman giving birth. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus is telling this story to 11 guys. Some of them are fishermen, you know, these are rough and tumble guys. And he's telling them about what it's like to have a baby. So I'm a guy. I have no clue. I don't know. Uh, I've been there when it happened. But so yesterday morning, I'm talking to Lynn about this. I'm like, honey, uh, I will never understand. There's no way for a guy to understand that. But we read this verse, and, and she's like, yeah, you know, when you're going through that pain and you know what you're going to have to go through, and mom's out there, um, you know, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. That as soon as that baby is born, and as soon as you get to hold it, and you get to hear it cry, like the, the pain just goes away because there's this joy in this new life that, that God has given you. So he's telling them that. This sorrow that you're going through, that you're about to go through, that's, even, that's deeper than you've ever known because he's been telling them that he's going to die and he's going to rise again, but they haven't been listening. They're not, they haven't been understanding. Um, so when he dies, they think it's over. All this stuff that they've been planning for and thinking about for three years is over. And then Jesus returns. And that sorrow is turned to joy. So he, he loves them by encouraging them. And then finally, uh, at that moment, he, he shows that he loves them because he lays down his life for them. He does tell them three times in Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 22 and, 20 and 44, and in chapter 18, verses 31 through 33, he tells them three times that I'm going to lay down my life for you, and I must. It's the, it's the Lord's will. And John, who wrote this gospel, who walked with Jesus for three years, who was there at the cross, understood this. In his letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John understood. He understood the love that Jesus taught him. So we can follow Jesus' example on how to love friends by doing a few things. So number one, choosing our friends wisely. Uh, when you're kids, your parents said, you know, be careful you hang out with. And, you know, that's just parents talking. That is so true. Because if you don't choose your friends wisely, then you're going to head down the wrong path. Um, another thing, serve your friends. Man, look at what do your friends need? What can you do to make their day a little bit easier? Even if it's just calling them up and saying, hey, I was thinking about you and I prayed for you this morning. That means a lot. You don't know what it, they're, they're going through more than likely. And you, it may be an opportunity for you to just to pour some love into their life. And let them know that, that you love them and you care about them because they're a fellow believer. I'm talking about friendships between Christians here. Um, third, we can show friends that we love them by rebuking or correcting them when needed and allowing our friends to do the same to us when we need it. That's important. We can show our love by preparing and teaching our friends and letting our friends teach us. One of the things that I love about Midlands is that we have multiple people that, uh, that are preaching on Sunday mornings. We have multiple people that, are, that teach our course seminars and our men and women's Bible studies, and that's just exciting uh, because we're not just relying on one person unless you consider that one person to be Jesus, and that's who we're relying on. We can encourage our friends to show them that we love them. And then finally... Uh, lay down our life for our friends. Most of us probably aren't going to have to physically do that, but sometimes you can think of it this way. Um, most of us will be able to think less of ourselves and think more of others, and that's how you can lay down your life. So what does this commandment, this new commandment, mean for us? Let's read it one more time, and this is the 
the chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So this simple command summarizes all of the other Ten Commandments and provides a foundational code for the lives of Christians. Christians should be known for their love for one another because it's rooted in their love for Jesus. We should look different from the world around us. Um, It isn't written this way in the ESV, but in the King James Version, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, calls us a peculiar people. And I, I like that uh, because if you look up the word, the meaning peculiar, it means strange or odd or unusual. Well, we better look peculiar to the world because we're following Jesus and we're following his example And he chose us to be his people. And so we should look peculiar to a lost world because we are uh, strangers in a foreign land. So um, I have a confession to make. um, And there's a reason I saved it till the end, and you'll thank me for that in a minute. So here's the confession. So I I was born in 1963, which means I'm a a 56-year-old man I have something in common with a few million middle school age girls from the late 90s, okay? Um, I really like the song Mbop by Hanson. <laughs> so there, there's a rumor um, that I will put that song on and dance around the living room to the horror of my daughters. And that's just a rumor. But Leah's right over there, and you can ask her afterwards whether that rumor is true. So, um, so there I've said it, you know, now you know uh, my shameful, uh, guilty pleasure. Um, Riding back from Alaska, I had my brother-in-law trapped in the truck with me for seven days. Uh, And if you drive 15, 20 hours a day, you will listen to anything. And I got him to listen to that song. He videoed me, so I'm sure it's not on his Instagram account, but I'm sure all of his buddies have seen this video of his weird, you know, brother-in-law. I don't care because I like that song. But here's another confession. Like, I didn't know what that little dude was singing about for like 15 years. Like, I can't understand. I couldn't understand him. I understood mm, bop and do bop and all this stuff, you know, but I love the beat. You know, I like I like the beat. and It's a catchy tune. The reason I shared this at the end is it's in your head now and it's going to be there for a while. And I didn't want you to miss some of the scripture we went over because you were dancing in your head. So so anyway, so finally, I thought I got to figure out and he sings fast. Okay, Um, and his voice was changing uh, literally while they were recording it, I think. Um, So but here's what it's about. So I actually looked it up. And and now that I know what the words say, I'm like, okay, I can definitely hear it now. So here's what it's about. And those of you that grew up and were of a certain age in 97 or 98, whenever the song came out, like, you know, and I think it was played at like like teenage parties or bar mitzvahs for 13 year olds or whatever. But here's what this song is really about. It's about true friendship. Um, between all the mbops um, are these words. So hold on to the ones who really care. In the end, they'll be the only ones there. And when you get old and start losing your hair, tell me who will still care. Can you tell me who will still care? Can you tell me? And then it says, no, you can't because you don't know. You say you can, but you don't know. Well, I've got good news for the Hanson brothers. <laughs> you can know. I don't know anything about those guys. Uh, all I know is they made more money off one song that I will make in my entire life, <laughs> no matter how long I live and how long I work. Uh, so good for them. But here's the thing. Here's how you can know who will be there. You should be able to know who will be there. John, the, the writer of most of the verses that we went over today and wrote the account of the Pharaoh Discourse, Um, he always refers to himself in his gospel um, as the disciple who Jesus loves. Like he never says me or John or whatever. He says the disciple who Jesus loves. And there's a couple of, you know, why is he doing this? Does does he like like being real literal, you know, literary kind of guy? And he likes the third person, you know, uh, you know, the disciple who Jesus loves. He likes referring to himself in third person. I don't think that's it. Um, It's because... He thought he was Jesus' favorite. 
Nope, again. I think it was most likely that he understood what it cost Jesus to love him. He understood his failings. He understood his sins. He saw Jesus on the cross. He spent three years with him, listening and sitting in his teaching. He knew the price that Jesus had to pay just to love him. And that's why I believe he referred to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Because he was saying, I'm part of the reason why Jesus hung on that cross. So these same disciples who heard this new commandment to love one another as Jesus loved them would see Jesus die for them the very next day. And the days to come, they would begin to appreciate this new standard of love that they would need to love each other in order to be able to share God's love with an unlovable world. As Christians today, the more we recognize the depth of our sin and the more we recognize the love of Jesus and the more, the more we will appreciate the love of our Savior. We are tied together. Christians are tied together by the love of Christ. We are bound to one another by the love of Jesus. A Christian's love for a fellow brother or sister in Christ can overcome any barrier. can overcome language barriers, racial barriers, political barriers, social economic barriers. If you've ever been somewhere that's not your comfort zone, where there's another country or wherever, and you meet somebody that's a believer, there's an instant connection in there. It's like you've known them for forever. And it doesn't matter if they're from a different country or if they're a different you know, college or whatever it is. Like Those barriers mean nothing when it comes to loving someone that is your brother or sister in Christ. So I'll close with, um, with a few statements. And these next statements, there is much or more for me than anybody else here that's hearing my voice or will hear it. Um, so this is for us, Midlands. We need each other. We can't forget that. We need Jesus first and foremost. But as his body here, we need each other. Uh, we're a fellowship of believers, and we should act like it. And I see that. These aren't meant to be like, you need to do this. I see it, and it's exciting when I see uh, the love that y'all have for each other. But I want to encourage you to keep that, keep it going. Um, don't pull away from other Christians when things get tough, because some of us can have that tendency to do that. Don't let Satan fool you into thinking your Christian brothers and sisters won't love you through your sins and your struggles. Because if they don't, they aren't reflecting the love that Jesus has for us. Engage with each other. Connect with someone that you don't know well. There, you know, when I, when I come to Midlands and I look around and I see, and I'm horrible with names, I'll confess that right now. So if I forget your name, you know, I just need, we just need a, a picture directory. Maybe that would help me. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but eventually I'll learn your name. Um, my name's Randy, by the way. Um, but connect. Uh, don't assume that somebody doesn't want to talk to you just because they're not connecting with you. Connect with them. Be the person that takes the first step. And then finally, love each other because you know that Jesus knows everything about you and he still loves you. So Jesus doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us in spite of who we are. And he calls us to love each other and to love him and to be obedient to him. So let me read this new commandment one final time. This is the... the the reference in the 13th chapter of John. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's an old hymn. Um, it's really short, but um, it actually makes this point really well. It's called, uh, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Some of y'all know that. So let me read the first verse to you. It said, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. 
Now, we meet in First Baptist of West Columbia. Their weekly newsletter that goes out is called the Tie Binder. It's been called that at least since the 30s because I have my grandmother's trunk, and she kept every single one of them, and it's still there. So if you want to know what happened here, like on a Wednesday night in 1932, I can hook you up. Um, but there's a reason why they use that as their weekly newsletter, the Tie Binder. It is what the, the love of Christ is, is that common thread. We can be totally different people, but we have that unity, that tie that binds us through the love and the blood of Jesus. This night that we've been reading about is when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He gave his new commandment that very same evening. And another thing I like about Midlands is we actually observe the Lord's Supper every week. And it never gets old. And it's a reminder to us of there's a cost to that love. And Jesus paid that cost. And even if every one of y'all and everyone in history was perfect, he would have still had to go to the cross for me because I'm not. But yet he loved me enough to pay that price. So as we prepare uh, for communion, just a few things that we mention every week. It's, it's a family meal. It's a meal to be shared among Christians. So if you uh, are still trying to figure out who Jesus is to you um, and you're not a believer yet, we ask that you, that you um, not participate. Not because we don't love you. Not because we don't long for you to join us one day. But it's just not appropriate if you're not a believer because... Paul said in one of his epistles that, you know, you have to examine yourself. And if you partake in an unworthy manner, then you're guilty of why Jesus had to shed his blood and, um, and his body. So if you're not a believer, we'd love to talk to you about it. Um, I would say elders, but right now there's one elder here because uh, of... Um, responsibilities at CIU and Hart's um, enjoying the final time with his family, but there are plenty of believers here. You don't need to talk to an elder to hear about Jesus. Isn't that great? You can talk to any one of the believers that are here about what Jesus means to them and how they know he loves them. So um, let let me close this in prayer before we participate. Father, we thank you so much just for loving us because we know we don't deserve it. Lord, um, but we thank you for choosing us. Thank you for calling us to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for rebuking us, for encouraging us, Father, uh, for teaching us. Thank you for just the, the men and women that you've placed here in Midlands to share your love with each other and with the lost world. Father, as we partake now of the of the juice and the bread. I pray that it never becomes a habit. I pray that we always remember the highest price ever was paid by you so that we do not have to suffer the ultimate consequence of our sin, which is being separated from you forever. You have saved us through your love and your sacrifice. And we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.